So um, there's a couple of things that we're going to we're going to spend our time mostly in Hebrews 12. Um, and they as much as I would have liked to have said where we're going next, the the resources that I ordered did not arrive yet. Okay. So just stay posted. OK, stay, stay tuned in and we'll find out. Um, because I ordered not just one thing from the Conference Resource Center, so um, that means I get to pick, but I don't pick until I see them. Um, so I want to, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a little piece of a story, and then we're going to go to Hebrews. And this, um, this person writes, when I was in high school music, the band leader insisted that his students drill scales, major scales, minor scales, chromatic scales, all the ways around, all the way around the circle of fifths. This is a foreign language to me. Um, we had to be able to play them all fast and accurately. Sitting in my other classes, anytime I wasn't actively taking notes, I'd hold my pen as if it were my instrument and practice my scales. I haven't picked up a saxophone in over 20 years, but to this day, I can play those scales with a pen. What my bandmaster knew was that training our fingers on the scales around which music is built would prepare us to pick up even a difficult piece and learn to play it well. In the same way, cross-country runners do wind sprints, short all-out dashes repeated over and over until the legs and lungs plead for mercy as a way of building capacity for long distance runs. Whether you're training for the Olympics or helping your child learn to read, you know that working hard at the basic basics is what lays the foundation for long-term success. Can you relate to that? I wasn't yes. a music student, so um, I don't know about the scales. Do you, Kelly? I do, and I'm the saxophone player. <laughs> I was, I was more of a singer, but I played the saxophone, and it's been about 30 years, probably. So, yeah. And I've, I've seen musicians do that, you know, that you can watch them with their their pen. But did yep. you have to learn all those scales? Yeah. Cir circle of fifths? Yep. Absolutely. Um. So, it, and Linda, if it wasn't if it wasn't music or cross country running, was there anything that you did that you learned uh, on a repetitive in a repetitive way? I took piano. Oh, okay. And I was in chorus in school, mm -hmm. and under Kelly's expert tutelage in the choir, <laughs> she's an awesome choir director. <laughs> oh, I, I have fun with it. They um, so what what is to be what are some of the things in our everyday life that um we could do or might do repetitively repeatedly that kind of help us maintain our mental physical spiritual health i didn't ask you if you were doing them all i'm just asking if you know what where they are yeah uh-huh what would you say Getting exercise regularly is always, I always feel better. I unfortunately don't always make time, but when I do, I'm happier for it. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And making time to me or you? <laughs> I don't know what it was. I think we've had that happen once before, 
and I don't know what it is. So it's actually me. I'm sorry. It comes through oh. on my computer. I'll try well, to. Roy's working with the electrical, so I wasn't sure if he was doing something. <laughs> um, about that. Anyway, for spiritual, making time to spend with God every day, whether it's just five minutes praying and 10 minutes in your Bible or reading your devotion every day. Mm -hmm. And I also like to do those um, coloring books, the adult coloring books. And I do a lot of the faith-based ones. Mm -hmm. I, I like those as well. And I like, uh, when I went to general conference in 2016, I did a lot of that because it was um, that, that some of that repetitive activity kept me, actually kept me focused on what was going on, but also gave me some soothing stuff to deal with all the stuff that was going on. Well, if I go to general conference, take my coloring books, right? That's right. Okay. Um, and take them in a box that you can use as a, a to put on your lap so that you can color if you're if you're because as an alternate, which is what I was, you might be in the bleachers. Right. Um, okay. So, um, and the and I think that there some of the things like we do like I set up my coffee maker every night because I I mm -hmm. really like having the coffee ready for me when I get up in the morning. Um, and that's a repetitive thing that's good for me in some ways. Um, I think that I aspire to do many things on a repeated basis that are good for me. I don't, I don't do them all. Um, but when we, in looking at, looking back at Hebrews, um, they, what would you, how would you summarize what we've learned about Hebrews, about why this book was written, about who the target audience is, about um, some of those kinds of things? Thoughts? I think the main thing that I have taken away thus far has, is just don't give up. Keep, keep plugging. Keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah, and that so many have done it before you. I think that's just a human nature thing to know that others have done this and that you are following in their footsteps. You're not the first to do this. You can do it. Gives you a lot of motivation to stick with it, I think. And I believe it's written um, for those who were formerly Jews that had become Christians and trying to discourage them from falling away from their Christianity. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that was a big, that was, um, to understand the breadth of that was a different thing for me in Hebrews. Um, because it's when you read it through the lens of it being a concentrated effort to kind of bring Christianity down to this little intense uh, book, or letter, sermon, whatever we want to call it, and to understand its pointed purpose um, helped me to understand why why it's written the way it is, and um, kind of what the what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and it's I was talking about it in our staff spiritual formation um, 
class and I was, we were talking, group, we were talking, I said, we were reading through the chapter 11 and I asked them, you know, why do you suppose, why do you suppose that all these names were listed? And of course, Scott being, I said, oh, Scott, you're such a pastor um, because he said, you know, well, those were familiar names to them and they would be inspiring to him, to the people. And they all were examples of faith without sight. Um, so it was, um, it was, it was good. So when we look at 12, um, before you leave 11, what you just said, I don't think had really sunk into me before that they, the people named were all those who had faith without sight. It wasn't like the disciples who right. were with Jesus for three years. Right. These were all those who, these are all old Testament heroes who, would yeah. have never encountered Jesus. Um, and when you think about um, the, um, I mean, if you, if you look at Noah, Noah said, Noah said yes to something he had no idea about. He mm -hmm. said yes before he built the ark. He said yes before the rain. He said yes before he realized that everything else was gonna be destroyed and that he was carrying the entirety of the human race on this ark. So that faith without the definition of believing without seeing um, is yeah. an important part of that. And you look at um, they, so many of these that, that they, were, they were told something, but they didn't yet see it. You know, Abraham and Sarah were told they would have a child. They were so-so about believing it, but they believed um, and it happened. And one of the things that uh, when we were talking about it this afternoon, talking about the fact that some of the New Testament examples of that, that one of the most powerful one of those is Mary. You think about that she was asked, uh, what, that she was asked to carry Jesus and she wasn't married. She was very young, but she was old enough to know the consequences of a woman potentially having a child without a husband. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, Mary's not listed in here because they didn't know who Mary was. The, the, these, the people, the Hebrew people, no, the people that are being addressed um, are people that would have heard stories about Mary, but they wouldn't have understood the importance of what she had done just yet. Um, so there was, so that was part of, you know, all, and the very end of 11, all these people didn't receive what was promised, though they were given approval for their faith. God provided something better for us so that we wouldn't be made perfect. They wouldn't be made perfect without us. Um, and so that sense of these people that answered a call, went someplace, did something, achieved something, saved something, um, were all acting on faith. The, the Hebrews definition of faith um, in terms of believing in that which we cannot see. All right. So in 12, 
Can somebody read one and two, verses one and two? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, we, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Does, does your, you have the guys have the same version, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I also have the message in front of me. How does that read? Um, verses one and two. Reads. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that, will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It's, um, so what is this, what do these two verses say to you in terms of your own sense of, of what they mean, not mean in big word, big thoughts, but mean to you personally? Mm -hmm. I think kind of, Again, just get on with it. You know, it says throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. I think it's just like get over it. Just get on with it and do what you're meant to do with perseverance. And because Jesus did it first and he did it the hardest part of it. So right. if he can do that, the least we can do is keep running the race. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you get tired, fix your eyes on Jesus. Right. Because we all do get tired. Yes, we do. Um, and Jesus rested as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we can fix our eyes on Jesus who went away to pray and spend time. Um, this, so the mine, mine reads, it's, it's very much the same. With endurance, let's also run the race that's laid out before us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And then this, this part, let, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips our eyes, that trips, that trips us up. Um, so what, do we, what can we imagine is the baggage that we might throw off? holding on just to anything that we're 
wrongfully holding on to, whether it's grudges. Or I think I heard somebody this week talk about it. You can't receive what God has for you when you're holding everything so much. You don't have open arms to accept all the good things he has planned for you. You've got to drop it. And, and I, you know, people always say, let go and let God. But I think it's like, let go of stuff and give it to him. Don't just like drop it mid race, just, you know, at least take it to Jesus. He'll, he'll do it. He'll finish it. He'll handle it. All those things. It's not like you're, you know, letting people down or what have you. It's, you're not just dropping it. You're giving it to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of it's, there's a physical part of it and um, a spiritual part of it that are, and an emotional part of it, because the, I think sometimes the let go and let God is often misconstrued as just turn and just like, let it be, let it go, just, which could give somebody the impression of just walk away. Um, But I think what people, um, what people often mean by let go and let God is let go of the worry, let go of trying to control it, let go of um, being so convicted of must have the outcome that you think that that you should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about um, I, I th- I'm trying to think about maybe how to phrase the question of, well, what kind of baggage, what kind of baggage do us everyday ordinary people carry with us? Well, everybody struggles with something, whether it's um, jealousy or um, haughtiness or drinking, or we all have some, shall I, for lack of better words, character flaw. Or that, more than one. <laughs> what did you say? Or more than one. <laughs> yes, or more than one. That yeah. we need to shed so that we can keep running that race. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we will never be somebody else. We will never be the, who we'll never be what we're not. Right. Um, you know, who we are is how we were made. What we do with it, uh, I think, is part of this of this particular part about practices and how we run this race of faith, which is that you think about, we think about Paul, Paul was described as a, um, a person who had some kind of a handicap. Um, it was, there was uncertainty as we know that he suffered great beatings and, uh, and abuse and imprisonment and so many different things. But there was also, there are places where it's alluded to that he had a limp, that he um, had difficulty with uh, some level of endurance because of some of the physical things that he's been through. Um, he was there, some of the um, statues and some of the icons that have paintings of Paul make him look as though he's not like disfigured, but um, definitely not and the impression of a, a healthy, robust body. Um, and I think that we 
there are things along our life journeys that may cripple us in some way. It may be by some of those character flaws. Um, we may learn unhealthy things by how we were raised or what we endured when we were um, either growing up or as young adults, um, sometimes in difficult marriages, the things that, that we endure, um, we have to learn how to adapt. And that's not, always a, that's not always helpful in the long run. It's helpful sometimes in the short. Um, children who grow up with alcoholic parents or abusive parents, they learn how to cope um, to keep themselves safe and sometimes to keep other people in the family safe. Um, those coping mechanisms don't always work when they're free of those um, burdens. Mm -hmm. And so then figuring out, well, how do I, what do I do with this like addictive personality or enabling personality or codependent personality? How do I kind of throw some of that off and find healing and wholeness? Well, it's a whole lot of work, you know, it's, therapy and practice and all of those kinds of things. So I wonder if we think about some of those repetitive actions that 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 help people to run the race that sometimes it's not sometimes that that the repetitive thing is being a person being able to convince themselves uh, that they're loved by God that mm -hmm. by saying things, reminding themselves of things over and over and over again. Um, and that, that it's not just the, the sort of big, strong, not strong physical, but people who are faithful at a young age and grow up with the scriptures and grow up in church and are healthy, well-adjusted adults, they're on a a path of discipleship that that moves quite differently from someone who starts out with you know only this little tiny bit of faith and maybe their spark is that they're hoping to find faith and so the repetitive thing might be go to church go to church go to church yeah. go to church sometimes for years then read the bible read the bible read the bible read the bible um, and we often make assumptions that everybody in the church reads the Bible. <laughs> and it's not because people aren't good. It's that they never learned that they were, they never developed that kind of devotion. So in some ways, if churches, if church is the only devotion they get, then bring it on, come on, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's okay. We'll go that we'll figure it out together. Um, but I think that this what what is trying to be taught in in Hebrews is a countercultural message, meaning in a in something like Judaism, which is very uh, ritualized, very legalistic, lots of rules. Um, there's a sense of you stay here and you do everything the same all the time, the Sabbath the food, the, the teaching, the scripture, you know, all of that is, is a very repetitive kind of a model. And what's being talked about here is actually going someplace, not necessarily physically, but running the race of faith, meaning 
wait, does that mean I'm not going to stay where I am? That right. there's some place that there's even some place to go. That there's a um, goal. Yeah. Right. There's a finish line. Right. And what do we think of as the finish line? Heaven, I think. Yeah. Eternity with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that that's where we are. Um and they throughout the Hebrews, we've heard the conversation about what people should do, what people should do. It's a kind of a training um, module. And then when we go, um, starting in verse three, and let's see, Kelly, why don't you read three through six? Okay. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It's the language you said your last line was he chastens mm -hmm. every son or daughter. Um, mine is a little harsher than that. It says he punishes, uh, um, which is a little stronger. It feels stronger to me than yeah. chasing. Um, and so let's see. Um, we always used to tell our kids because they would say, you know, so-and-so's parents aren't going to discipline them for that. And you're too hard on us. And we would say, well, clearly their parents don't love them. <laughs> <laughs> We're disciplining you because we love you. And clearly right. they That's are right. not loved. <laughs> There's a reason for it. Um, and in the, the five and six about... Um, not forgetting and make light of or be discouraged by God's discipline. And this in this book, uh, which is comparing New Testament to Old Testament, where it comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so it says God corrects those he loves. So that goes along with your parenting. And mm -hmm. the reference is Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. Don't make light of or be discouraged by God's discipline. God corrects those he loves, you know, the same message. I love it when we have these quotes that come from the Old Testament and they're not left there. They're brought back yeah. into the New Testament to kind of remind us of the continuity of, of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that Do you, do you have any sense in your mind of what it would feel like or what your experience would be of being corrected by God? Do you? I'm trying to think. I've, I've felt convicted at times by by God or the Holy Spirit, just knowing, yeah, no, mm -mm, nuh -uh. I And I, I have as well. I think that there are some things that are so ingrained in us in terms of right and wrong. I mean, in the Christian faith, I mean, there's there's the rules of humanity and right and wrong, um, but 
there's the places where um, there's temptation and, you know, mm -hmm. you sense and there's a, you can almost not even be sure. Am I being corrected by God or am I being corrected because I know what God or maybe it's the same thing? is knowing scripture and knowing what's right and wrong based on what God teaches us. If we're tempted to do something that contradicts the, what we learn in the Bible, is that God speaking to us or has God already spoken to us and therefore we know it? I think the latter is, makes it even more powerful. It's like back to the analogy of disciplining kids when they can almost discipline themselves when right. they, when they know, you know, I know they're going to yell at me for this. And so I'm, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's a bad right. thing. And I think we can do that ourselves with God. Um, unfortunately, I think more often than not for me, that doesn't happen until after I've done it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, darn, I, well, I blew that one. <laughs> but yeah. And, and sometimes it's a while and then I'm even more mortified. You know, it might be days later that I'm like, wow, that really was, that did not make God happy. And then it, it's worse because I had been going along happy-go-lucky for a couple of days thinking I was, you know, doing just fine. And then I realized, and he does convict us in certain ways or even something that somebody else says and that might be harmless on their end, but it speaks to us. Right. Yeah. It's, um. and then what kind, what does it do? to our state of mind when we realize that we have sort of misstepped and we have a sense that God wouldn't really be so happy that we had done something. Yeah, I feel ashamed almost. And then you can go down a, a bad spiral with that. And sometimes then you do other things wrong just because of that shame. But um, I think, it, like anything, if you can just say, okay, he does forgive. And I was thinking earlier when you talked about baggage, I think sometimes we don't forgive ourselves mm -hmm. enough or soon enough or completely. We, you know, we just let it hang over our lives. We can believe fully that God forgave us a long time ago, but it's, we hold on to that. And then that just makes it worse. You know, we feel like we're not worthy and not lovable. Right. Shame, shaming from someone else is a highly destructive um, thing. And shaming ourselves is also destructive. We mostly learn shaming um, by our experience. You know, we didn't, we weren't born shaming ourselves. We learn um, in a variety of ways. Everybody experiences shame. It's never uh, one of the authors that I like a lot is Brene Brown, and she writes about shame and she talks about how disabling it is, that it's one of the most powerful um, and most destructive emotions that we can feel. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that love God, love yourself as your name, love your neighbor, love as you love yourself, things like that. We often... We often make, we sort of romanticize that um, in terms of especially the loving yourself. And so um, there's that place between being corrected 
feeling embarrassed or ashamed that we did something and then kind of what do we do about it? Um, is there something to be done about it or does it does it go into the, the kind of list of sins that we have and we just say we're sorry and we're forgiven? Um, it can be complicated. Yeah. Um, they, um, it's, I think that my own feeling of, and I think it's probably easiest to say that usually if there are places where I feel like I've um, failed or maybe done something that wasn't helpful, it would be by something that I said in either in a conversation or somehow in a relationship. Um, and maybe it was said that way because I wasn't really in the right state of mind to say it in the first place. So there was a lot more in the words that came out than what were necessary. You know, when the, when we hit the last straw and we get mad and we get mad about something that's so small, Mm -hmm. But it's because of the other stuff that's going on. And um, I, I, those are the kinds of mistakes that, that I probably see them more often in myself than other people do, uh, for which I'm grateful. But mm -hmm. I find it a, a helpful process, partly because of owning up to it. Like, you know, in a relationship, being able to say, you know, that wasn't fair, what that wasn't fair, or I'm sorry that that came across that way. Um, hopefully before it gets down to the week and everybody's completely forgotten about it, except for maybe that person's carrying it around a little bit. Because mm -hmm. um, when it comes to doing things that, that God doesn't approve of, well, I don't hold, I don't hold my life in a sifter um, and probably don't examine every single little thing I do and probably don't feel a lot of, I don't feel much conviction about um, buying a cookbook. Was it the right or wrong thing to do? Do I have too many? Do I, you know, is a good financial decision? I really don't give it a lot of thought. So <laughs> if God has an opinion on it, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Um, but if I hurt somebody's feelings, that's a whole different, yeah, that's a whole different ballgame. For me, it is always the, 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 what I say more than even what I do. And it's usually the people closest to me because that's who I trust the most and let my hair down, so to speak. Yeah. And you just, like you said, you just say something and it's like the toothpaste can't go back in the tube once you say it. And it's right. so hard. Yeah, it is. I think that one of the things that that being married a long time helped with, and it, this was a long time ago, was the the realization that those things that at some level those things can be taken back because you're married to someone who knows you, and you can yeah. you can just own up to the fact that you were in a bad mood, you had a bad day, or whatever. And um, I mean, I know that there are probably conversations that are really off the deep end that people have that become very damaging, but that's not what probably what any of us are mm -hmm. thinking about. Um, so I'm going to read, um, let's see, from seven to through 11. 
Bear hardship for the sake of discipline. God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons or daughters. Let's just stop right there. How does your how how does your your versions read that line? Let's just stop right there. Like I was thinking, at least I didn't tell my kids like that their that their friends were illegitimate. <laughs> right. Parents didn't love them. But yeah, that's so interesting that you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Wow. Do any of you have some helpful commentary next to that? Let's see. Um, for those verses, it pretty much just says it's grouped um, verses 5 to 11 together. And it says, who loves his children more? The father who allows them to do whatever they want without restraint or the one who corrects, trains, and even punishes them to help them learn what's right. No one I, likes to be correct, sorry, and disciplined by God, but his discipline shows as he was for us. When he corrects you through his word, circumstance, or other people, see it as proof of his love and ask him what you need to learn. Which that part, that makes sense to me as sort of an, a, a, a summary of this section. It's just yeah. that line that kind of threw me, even as yeah. I'm reading it out loud. Um, because I think that, I think again, it's a, it's something that's said to make a point. Um, because if you, if you as children, if you have not been disciplined, it's almost like they're, it's saying you don't have parents then. If yeah. you, if you haven't been disciplined and trained, then you, you, you're orphans or whatever. And the term, do your, do your Bibles use the term illegitimate? Yep. Not You're legitimate. Not legitimate, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. What's more, we had human parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? Our human parents disciplined us for a little while as it seemed best to them, but God does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline is fun while it lasts, but it seems painful at the time. Later, however, it yields the peaceful fruits of fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Mm -hmm. I First is righteousness and peace. Yeah. For those who have been trained by it. And mine says the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay. So yeah. Has peace in it, but just differently. Yeah. I yep. think that that. It, it makes sense. I mean, I think that one line you could kind of easily not understand, but I think the whole idea of we are disciplined by our parents first when we are young and like, like we sometimes say, we hate it. We hate being told what we can't do. We hate being the only one that has to come home at 10 o'clock or whatever it might be. Um, and then there comes a point when we realize that we see things around us that show us the value of not having been allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit, the, I keep thinking of Katie, especially with her working out, you know, the no pain, no gain cliche that people say, 
and like she was so disciplined before she went and I think she still is in DC she would get up you know last March and April when it was snowing still and she'd have to go run and she hates to run but she it, it really paid off for her you know and mm -hmm. so it's just I think I'm hoping that'll help her in all areas of her life just seeing you know it, it it's great when you can see the results like that when you have put in the hard work and right all those things um i was talking to a parent who um had has a, a we were talking about how we raised our children and how it felt when they went to college um in terms of how smart they were in all through school which meant that they never really had to work really hard at it. And then they go to college and it's like, wait, um, I remember that wake up call. Yeah. In some ways, I feel like I sailed through high school as long as we didn't have to talk about trigonometry and algebra. Um, but mm -hmm. you get to college and the, just the sheer amount of homework that that we had to do was daunting. And if you didn't do it, you didn't learn. Right. Um, but we were talking about the fact that sometimes when it's too easy for kids, they don't learn to study because they don't have to. Um, mm -hmm. And that works in high school. Right. I, our, our oldest son will talk about he, he our children were never they never reject rebelled against discipline. Um, Marty probably complained about some of it more than the other two. Um, but very rarely would we hear things that it's not fair. But if it was going to be said, it was going to be Marty. You know, Marty, if you go with your friend in a car, you have to wear your seatbelt. They're not wearing their seatbelts. Well, then you're not going with them. Um, and because we could see him in the car when they were driving by. And of course, with the shoulder harness, you can see if someone's not wearing a seatbelt. And so, you know, it's that some of that was that, you know, just like, don't, don't tell my friends, don't say anything to their parents, don't embarrass them, whatever. And it's like, well, that's fine. You just can't go anywhere with them. Right. <laughs> Conversation's over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they do, they get, do get to the point where they realize that we did know what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, Linda, why don't you read, um, 12 through, uh, 17. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. 
Mine starts out, strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees. You just had weak knees, but you had, you had, what does yours say? Feeble. Feeble. Feeble arms and weak knees. And mine says drooping hands and weak knees. Hmm. Uh, and they, um, if any part is lame, it would be healed. It will be healed rather than injured more seriously. What did yours say? Lame that the, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Oh, okay. Um, I like the there's in this we 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 revisit the fact the care for the community, um, the care for those around you. Uh, make sure no one misses out on God's grace. Um, mm -hmm which is not only run the race with perseverance, but look around and see who might be around you. Um, kind of like that, that video that maybe you saw of the, the one of the races where the guy that was winning had become so, um, he started running like kind of like not straight and he was starting to fall and he just his body couldn't do it anymore and this man who'd been following him all along and he'd been out in front of the crowd he ran up and he helped him get across the finish line and when people were like why did you do that and he said because he was winning he won this race he was ahead of everybody the whole time and so why would i have taken it away from him just because he had given it so much and he was so close. I thought it was a really powerful story. Yeah. Um, but I think it this this particular part of this resembles that. Mm -hmm. What do we do when we're running the race with perseverance um, and moving right along? Do we um, is there any not sightseeing, but is there any peripheral vision where we look to see whether people have fallen by the wayside or tripped or whatever has happened that makes them kind of fall off that that path? What's our responsibility? Um, and I think that make sure no one misses out on God's grace, make sure no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. It's not just about what might happen to you, it's what happens to those around you. I'm not quite sure how um, the, the how we would envision a root of bitterness. Um, do you think that that might be something along the lines of, um, disagreements and not being um i don't know what would you think how would you describe that what would a root of bitterness be that we could establish we do have a footnote on that well let's hear it because i've got bible without footnotes the bitter root can be interpreted two ways one, when Moses renewed the covenant, covenant with the people of Israel, he warned them about the root that bears bitter and poisonous fruit. He referred to the act of turning to false gods and stubbornly following the desires of the hearts. When we lose sight of God's grace, the bitter root of unbelief grows. 
Second is the verse also teaches people to avoid bitterness that springs up in the hearts and minds. A bitter root comes when we allow disappointment with God or others to grow into resentment and when we nurse grudges over past hurts or unmet desires. Bitterness brings with it jealousy, anger, dissension, and immorality. Be alert for it in your own life and help others deal with it as well. Every time you feel hurt by someone, immediately ask the Holy Spirit to take care of that bitterness so it doesn't poison you. I think you've summed up what could be in some ways um, at the heart of many very difficult church conflicts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so, and I hadn't really thought about that line, that, that verse um, in terms of what that means. I had a sense and what I read was that essentially don't create an, this obstacle for other people, which we might refer to to the verse that says, um, don't put any stumbling blocks in front of your brothers and sisters, um, take the log out of your own eye, things like that. Um, but I feel like what this, what this particular part is saying that um, from the no one, don't make sure no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure there's no root of bitterness growing up that might cause trouble and pollute people. And then there's the sexual immorality. So it's kind of like this little this little nugget of um, getting along in the Christian faith 101. Yeah. That, that keep your eyes on Jesus, keep pursuing with perseverance, and also be mindful of how you're traveling. Be mindful of how you're carrying yourself and how other people are doing. Because um, most church conflicts come from disappointment, hurt, anger, which turns into bitterness and kind of a resentment that then grows. You know, I mean, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but it happens in churches. And that's when I am, that's the kind of thing over the years that has, um, that talked me into believing in spiritual warfare. Um, because when churches can thrive, but then there becomes infighting um then then the church kind of becomes a place that doesn't feel as safe it doesn't feel as nurturing because people can sense that there's something they might not even be able to know what it is um and the sometimes sometimes churches aren't very good at um seeking reconciliation and forgiveness among the body because um, people want to hold on to um, sometimes whatever it is that's that upsets them and the reason churches are prone to that more so than an, a company or because I mean we all have this everywhere but a church is filled with people who are voluntarily there they don't have to be there um, and so it's but it's it's sometimes it's important to know it's important to to know and see that because when you see the signs of it, then sometimes you can start to sort things out before it gets to be too bad. Yeah. I'm sure neither of you has ever seen church conflict. <laughs> I grew up a pastor's child, remember? 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. It's um and yep. the the you know there's there's always more good than not in churches, but it's hard when um, what I observed, what I actually called spiritual warfare was when a church would start to flourish and then there would be some in incident that would happen that would kind of pull some people away from that and then and then people would question what are we doing and criticize people and it, it, it can be remedied relatively quickly if people are willing to talk. People are willing to, to work on whatever it is, and then you just move on. Um, in worst case scenarios where there's been sexual abuse or sexual misconduct of some sort, um, that sometimes takes generations to to, yeah. to heal. Um, one of my one of the churches my dad was at down in Maryland split over whether or not to have open communion. Really? Yeah. Well, that's a conversation I never even could imagine. In the Lutheran Church, it was, yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. I forget about it because I go into the Methodist Church now. I'm Methodist, and we do have it. But, yeah, growing up, you had to be confirmed. You had to be Missouri Synod Lutheran to take communion in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. My dad called it Misery Synod. Yeah, well, there, there, there are those aspects of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church for sure. Yep. Um, yeah. And and there are variations of that in the United Methodist Church, but people, it sometimes is very subtle, and I don't think people hear it when they invite people to com to communion and they say, if you believe, right. Well, what if you're not sure? Or what if it's the first time you've ever been offered communion and you're trying to figure out if you can, if my, my thought is always come all who are willing, if you're willing to come, that means you're looking and we leave the rest of it up to God. But mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it's, it's a fine, it's a, it's a use of language that that I've grown to be more aware of over the years because I kind of want to understand how is it that this is a sacrament and a means of grace and this can't be the way that somebody believes. Right. Receiving communion, not by watching other people receive communion, but by receiving it. Yeah. Um, and that by practicing an open table that we um, we believe that people can come to that grace from any place, from anywhere. And you know, I have, this is a little bit off topic, but um, Dan and I have had a discussion about um, communion for a long time because his impression was that many times in our church, specifically Pendleton, when the pastors would invite people for communion, it made it almost sound like that was the day that you committed yourself to Christ. Or what have you so Dan grew up Baptist and it, you know it takes a very literal of you know that you need to be saved and all those things and I do too I feel like the Methodist Church is a little bit more conservative on that you know we don't talk as much even though I think John Wesley was very evangelistic and very born-again type um, but I think you know Dan I think has been uncomfortable sometimes because I think he feels like 
it's a substitute for making a commitment to Christ. Oh, okay. So I'm sorry, I'm not explaining it well, but that's well because Pastor Tom would say, if you want Jesus in your heart, yeah. That's, oh, okay. So I see where Dan's coming from. Yeah, that 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 this is the only way to get it is by coming up and taking this communion. Which yeah. Isn't, which isn't. It isn't what it isn't the way it's meant to be, or it's a, just an interpretation. And but I can understand why somebody would feel that way because mm -hmm. for many, I think I've. Um, I think that for many, there may be a person for whom there's a conversion moment in that receiving of communion. That's why I wouldn't ever insist on people being in a specific state of mind other than willingness to come forward to mm -hmm. receive it. Um, but I don't think that walking to the front is a decision for Christ. Right. It's not an altar call. It's communion. That's, yeah, that's good that you conceive. He, that's like one that was the only like really stumbling block for him because he, he was like died in the wool Baptist, but now he's been a Methodist for 20 years. <laughs> but and, but and Baptists have a much different view of communion, period, in terms of um, not taking it as frequently. And it means yeah. something different in the Baptist church. than oh, I don't even um, really know what they think it means in the in the. You know, there's the the different traditions. There's the the denominations that believe that literally it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. We don't believe that. Um, there are traditions. Ours is that we do it in memory of, and yeah. the Baptists they they believe in in a similar way, except it's not a sacrament. And uh, the Baptist church, baptism is the sacrament. Yeah. Um, and so the, the so communion mm -hmm. is more what we would think of as an agape meal, which is sort of uh, remembering the love of Jesus and remembering the mm -hmm. crucifixion, but a, a little bit more of a casual. Um, I, I was invited to preach when we were in Medina, I was invited to preach across the street at the Baptist church. Matt was preaching at our church and I went over there to preach and it was communion Sunday. And when I was talking to Matt afterwards, he goes, well, as long as they don't mind that you turned their right into a sacrament, you're all good. And I was like, wait, do you think anybody noticed? I didn't, I, I it's not like you came in and you, that you had got this enculturation you just did communion. Well, I went and did communion, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ given for you. Right. Um, so it's just a, it's just a different, it's the same thing, probably closer, certainly closer to the Baptist than we are to like the Episcopalians or Missouri Synod Lutherans. Yeah. Or Roman um, Catholic or yeah. Yes. Yeah. On, on the subject of communion too, real quick. Some people don't like when it said the body of Christ broken for you because Christ's body wasn't broken. So they say Christ's body given for you. Ah. Interesting. I, f I feel like Jesus' body was broken. Isn't there something, there's something like in the Bible or like in his I bones weren't broken? His but his skin was. He was beaten. Pierced. Well, so it can be looked at. 
two there different were bones ways. in his feet and his hands that were broken for sure. Yeah. Um, you can't put you oh, can't put a metal yeah. stake into someone's hand like that and not break something. Um, yeah. But okay, they did not, and you know they they put their feet uh, one on top of the other one, right? And the stake goes through both feet. So there's no question that there were things that were broken. In addition to the fact that there, um, that the one thing that Jesus was saved from was that they would often break their legs, and that's when they right. would, that's when they would suffocate. Um, and they did not. What we know is it, based on what we know, they didn't do that. Um, it's just an interesting because I think there's nothing. There's the the crucifixion is all about his his body being broken it's not broken about, and bruised it's not about the bones that are broken it's about the fact that his body was suffered truly really suffered a horrific horrific yeah. thing um i think there are times when there are people that are un we mix people we confuse people when we say the body of christ the blood of christ because yeah. people aren't always mindful that we don't mean that we don't mean that this becomes the body of christ and the blood of christ but the language we use um when i gave communion to the youth group and they were this one young man the the blood it was the blood it was the blood and the body and um and so it's we kind of use a lot of mixed language that can be confusing yeah because there's also someone who serves communion and says represents the blood of what he gives it out mm. so we taught in uh in the churches that i've served before we've allowed um children to help serve that even before they're confirmed and what we teach them is um the love of Jesus given for you, the love of Jesus given for you, because we feel like sometimes the younger children, that's a pretty graphic kind of a thing to try to figure out how we say that once they got just a little, once they really, cause I mean, I had, I had a three-year-old serve with me and oh my goodness, it was the most wonderful. He, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus oh. loves you. Jesus loves you. And just um yeah pretty pretty incredible um that's so awesome and we always made them do the juice because we didn't really want their grubby little hands in the bread <laughs> why not <laughs> and when the children served on children's sunday then we broke up we cut up all the bread they they they're we still felt like and the hand sanitizing up behind the table these like gazillion kids and we're like sanitizing and that was before COVID. We were just trying to get all their boogers and all right. that kind of stuff sanitized. Super. Uh, I have to tell you this funny story. When Dan and I were serving and clearly it was a Catholic that had come up um, because they were ready to, um, they were wanted to eat the bread. And then I thought, I think they were gonna drink the cup like, like many Catholics, Roman Catholics often do. Well, um, Dan gave this person a piece of bread and they put it into their mouth and Dan said, oh no, you're supposed to dip it in the cup. And so they took it out of their mouth and they started to, they didn't, they didn't, but Dan goes, I'll give you a new one. And I'm like, <laughs> the cup, and I'm going like this. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm pulling it way back like there's no way you're putting that in this. <laughs> I'll give you a new one. Here's the new one. <laughs> you know, and people, so many times people in the pews or chairs, they have no idea about the yep. kind of stuff that happens up there. The people yep. that drop their bread into the cup. And then even worse is if they go fish it out. And then what yep. are you going to do with it? It's dripping grape juice everywhere. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's The life of a communion server. <laughs> the, um, I think, I don't, I don't know if it wasn't you that I told that when I was talking to a couple of the youth about serving communion, they were asking me if I'd made the bread and I said, um, yes. And I said, it's a recipe that I learned specifically for communion bread because tears nicely. It doesn't crumble all over. Yeah. It's got a soft crust. You know, there's no bad part of it typically. Yeah. And so then we went on to talk about what it was like to serve communion. And they were talking about serving communion at confirmation and they um, or after their confirmation, however it mm -hmm. went, and they were talking about being given um, loaves of bread that were like crusty yes. and how they go to pull the bread off and they'd be like, yeah. trying to yank, trying to rip it off the other side. And and oh, we just laughed because especially yeah. for your first time serving communion, that's a bad kind of bread to have. Yeah. And Dan, I always make Dan take the the juice because he gives the most ginormous pieces of bread. And I think Louis Bobstein said to him, I could have made a sandwich with that. <laughs> I'm always you just take the cup. I'll give the, the <laughs> well, it's gotta be big enough so they can touch the grape juice and have their fingers not touched. Right. We had a man who did that and somebody was saying, man, I got a roll for communion. You know, they were describing this man gave them a roll um, sized piece of bread that only towards the end of the line. You only get that if you're at the end of the line. Yeah. You have so right. much left over. So, back to Hebrews. I love these conversations. Um, so Back on topic. They, um, so Kelly, why don't you read um 18 through 24. okay mine is called the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy hmm. okay you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. To death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, that's encouraging. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's like you're not going to the dark side of the mountain. You're coming to the good side of the mountain, to the light. And um, right. so, yeah, picture um, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or or things like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, where there's always the dark, scary mountains. Um, and you're 24. Read again what you said for, for 24. Yeah. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I think the Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the word mediator. Yeah, I'm just looking to see. Our, our note for the whole section that I just read, 18 to 24, is interesting. It says Mount Zion is another name for Mount Moriah, the hill on which the temple had been built. What a contrast between the people's terrified approach of God at Mount Sinai and their joyful approach at Mount Zion in his holy city. What a difference Jesus makes. Before Jesus came, God seemed distant and threatening. Since Jesus has come, we can now see how God welcomes us through Christ into his presence. Accept God's invitation and join his worshiping community. When you think about, I mean, You've probably seen movies about Moses, right? Charlton Heston oh, yeah. and some of the other movies. And there's the, you know, up on the mountain with the Ten Commandments. There's lightning and thunder. And, you know, it's quite scary. Yeah. Um, and then the pictures we have of Jesus standing, arms out, welcoming people um, is quite a different, yeah. quite a different picture. Have you been to the Holy Land? I have, yeah. Have you been um, to the two different mounts? I have not been to um, Mount the, Sinai. I've been to the to the parts of the Holy Land where Jesus taught and did that. I've not been to, or at least I, if I went to it, nobody told me about, well, we're standing where the Moses had the 10 commandments and yeah. things like that. I haven't been there. Um, been on the sea of Galilee and, um, to a, a variety of other really incredible places. Um, yeah. But there's nothing that the terrain of Israel and Jordan, um, there aren't there aren't mountains and cliffs and things that that in I in what I've seen in tra in traveling around there that would fit to me in the category of the images of Moses. And maybe that's because of the images in my mind when I think about some of the mountains in Colorado or um, some other places where you have big, like really ominous mountains um, in, in, in the Holy Land and in, in Israel, Jordan and Palestine, my experience was is that it's not that there aren't big hills or mountains, but they don't have the kind of rugged terrain that we think of. There's there's a lot of desert looking 
more like Arizona or someplace like that than, mm. than big craggy mountains. Hmm. Um, the end of 24 was kind of tripping me up where it says Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. So I went over to the message and the way they put it was um, Jesus who represents us, who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He's the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, became a proclamation of grace. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it's I don't think of Abel very much. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't either. And so when they brought it up, the comparison with Jesus, it threw me off for a minute. But it does make sense now that you explain yeah. it that way that it's like his death was just a like a senseless murder. It was just a CI, CSI case. Right. Yeah. Jesus, nothing, nothing. There was no glory, no message, no saving. Right. Um, no saving die. grace. Right. No saving mm -hmm. grace. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the the end here, see to it that you don't resist the one who is speaking. If the people didn't escape when they refused to listen to the one who warned them on earth, how will we escape if we reject the one who is warning from heaven? His voice shook the earth then, but now he has made a promise. Still once more, I will shake not only the earth, but heavens also. The words still once more reveal the removal of what is shaken. The things that are part of this creation so that what isn't shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let's continue to express our gratitude. And with this gratitude, let's serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe, because our God really is a consuming fire. So then that's more comparison of that thundering mountain and they, that in, in the movement of heaven and earth with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think that the, I mean, there's no reason to go through all of 13, but I thought that um, that a good a good ending to this time in Hebrews is the beginning of 13. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open your homes to guests because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. Marriage must be honored in every respect with no cheating on the relationship because God will judge the sexually immoral person and the person who commits adultery. Your way of life should be free from the love of money and you should be content with what you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave or leave you or abandon you. And that's why we can confidently say the Lord is my helper and I won't be afraid. What can people do to me? There's a lot of grace mm -hmm. in that. Yeah. Um, 
at the very end, now I'm going to tell you that I've not noticed this ever before. At the very end, it says, greet your leaders and all of God's holy people. The group from Italy greets you. What? Yeah. Where did that come from? May grace be all. At what point did we get Italy in here? Right. Right. It, it makes it sound like whoever wrote this was in Italy at the moment. Yeah, I guess that would be the case. Although Italy, by the word Italy, is not used in scripture. We hear Rome. We talk about Rome. Yeah. But you wow. very, I don't know if I, I think the reason it stuck out to me is because I don't think I've ever you heard the name of the country. Yeah, I think Israel, right. we hear Israel and we hear of other kind of countries, but Italy, Italy is just doesn't. Yeah. So. Ours doesn't offer any <laughs> good insight or, or there's no good note on it here. I think I'm nope. going to have to ask Google when we're done. Why is Italy mentioned in Hebrews? <laughs> because, you know, it is it is the it is the written the English version of scripture. And so um there's no there by reading it this way, maybe it does say Italy. Maybe the maybe there's the the country's name couldn't be translated readily. I don't know. I'm just going to have to look. Hmm. I just looked it up. Do you want me to tell you what it sure. says? I, funny enough, too, though, the first Google, um, you know how it comes up with what most people ask? Mm -hmm. It said, um, why is Italy mentioned in the Polish national anthem? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask Roy about that. I, I didn't even know, know that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go back and read that. Um, uh, let's see. It says, Paul spent the last years of his life in jail in Rome, so it seemed he's sending the greetings. Hmm, I don't think this is a really good answer. Oh, here's Bible reference. Um, yeah, they all say different versions. The King James Version says, they of Italy salute you. Well, huh. so I guess it's there. I yeah. guess Italy is. It's and the fact that he was writing, but, but when but we have no in we have no proof or indication that Paul wrote this. Right. Right. It says it's um scholars differ on their opinion of what the writer really means by those who come from Italy. Um this letter is often associated with Paul, who spent considerable time under Roman imprisonment. His efforts established a flourishing Christian presence there. But alternately, the reference to Italy might mean those who came from Italy to wherever the writer of Hebrews finds himself. Yeah, and like I said, we read about Rome all the time, yeah. um, but not Italy. And that's weird. But Rome is in Italy. I just don't even know if thought was called Italy back then. Right, that country. Yeah. Um, so. Stay tuned for for what what we'll be doing next, and we'll be inviting people to join us for um, what the the new the next new thing that we're going to do. And when I say the next new thing, it's really just a matter of which book of the Bible we're going to go to. Um, and so, because I um, 
I ordered some study guides to look at. I, I'm, I'm not going to decide until I look at them. I have them in my hands because um, I have multitudes of things, um, but so far nothing is jumping out at me and saying, this is it, this is it. So I want to do what I want to, I want something that feels like it's the right thing. Yeah. So we're, we're headed into a pretty significant week here in our country. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. Lots to be in prayer for and um, for the poor South that's being hit again with an, I don't even know, you know, we don't really have much room in the media to hear how are people surviving this? Hurricane after hurricane after hurricane. Mm. I just don't even know. Um, I, I can't even imagine. That's um, before COVID and before I went to Colorado, I worked as a volunteer with Children's Disaster Services. And when there would be a hurricane, mm -hmm. we would go and set up shelter. We The shelters would be already existing, but we would set up within the shelters um, space, safe space for children um, mm -hmm. and provide care for them while their parents were tending to getting their paperwork together and stuff like that. And it's it feels really, has felt really strange not to be able to do anything in hurricane season for these families. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they're even sheltering them because of how dangerous it would be to put them into these big gatherings of people. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It. Lots, lots to be, lots to be in prayer for. I think the word is fatigue. Unfortunately, like I think people are fatigued about COVID. I think you get the hurricane fatigue. You know, you just, it's too much. It's almost, it's just too much to think about. I think we all have election fatigue too. Yes, exactly. Well, and I think when you put the, um, some of the, the racial tension and COVID yeah. and the hurricanes and the political climate, it's not surprising to, um, to look at the, the things that are being looked at from a, how's our health doing, our mental health, our um, physical health. And I think that fatigue mm -hmm. um, and a, a, a level a low level of anxiety that we wouldn't even necessarily call it's it's not like the typical anxiety it's on alert because of whatever things are happening in so many different places and while even while we're looking at one there's something else happening and it's just everywhere and so i think there's probably a reason that we haven't even gone looking for how it is in hurricane world because we just can't take it in I we know. Just can't keep taking it in. I feel um, so calloused for saying it, but yeah, I have de described the last nine months as like, or I guess six or seven months as like standing on Jello. You know, it just feels like it's a constant change. You got to just be ready for anything, and that's exhausting yeah. to mm -hmm. us individually and corporately to just not feel like you know. It, I guess it, it does draw us a lot closer to God because he's the only thing that doesn't change. You know, like anything can change at, right. at any moment, it feels like. Um, right. And so. I, do, I think you're right that um, 
everything, the way we communicate, the way we live together, um, the way we celebrate together um, has all changed in addition to how we mourn and grieve and, mm -hmm. um, you know, things like birthday parties, things like that are just so different. How does a, how, how, how do parents of small children, they've all had to figure out ways to celebrate their children's milestones. Um, yeah. And it's, um, and, and yet we find ways to carry on. That's right. Um, right. People so, have heard people say, you know, they did it during war times. They did it during, you know, lots of different ways. And but most of us haven't. Most of us I, have not. We've had, had a cushy life. I know. You know, we've, we've been, you know, when 9-11 when happened, it was, I think that was the, the first and only time in my lifetime that there was a sense of the potential danger that we that we could be in danger um right and and then we kind of set it aside because it went away right um, right i think there's one of the the what was that somebody said um somewhere about um the people when they said well Imagine what you'll be doing in five years back in 2015. Huh. Yeah. Uh, this wouldn't have been on it. This wouldn't have been on the list. Um, right. Or the thing that says, who'd have thought that in grade school, the most important lesson you learned was how to avoid cooties. <laughs> <laughs> Spray. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Debbie has been known to call herself the the on cootie patrol um, at the church. Um, so, oh my gosh, I love her. Oh yeah, we. Uh, I this is going to sound extremist, but I mean, I'm I'm seriously worried about. You know, I heard today like a cold civil war, but I get worried at times that you know people are going to get so angry and up and yes. over the election. Yes. It's scared. Like never in my life have I ever thought we would come to blows with one another in this country. Right. And and Christians against each other. I know. Right. I know that. If you follow this party, you can't be Christian. If you think this way, you can't be a Christian. If you yeah. really, you don't know what's in people's hearts. Right. You don't. We can't. I have siblings that are Democrats. I have siblings that are Republicans. Mm -hmm. And they are all faithful Christians. Yeah. Right. You can't tell me that my, I think my, my brothers, one is one and one is the other. You can't tell me that my brothers is more faithful than the other. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's, um, um, and I think some of the, the anxiety around, will there be um, a coup or something if yeah. it doesn't go the way some people um, feel like it should? Will there be um, violence in, right. Washington, in Washington? Will there be, you know, some of the things that they talk about that, um, if if the election if if Trump isn't reelected, will he do something that that says that the election was invalid? Right. Um, and 
you know, I suppose there's another counterpart to what what would happen if uh, Biden won, but it's it's um, I just don't think it's I think we thought 2016 was contentious and it's mm -hmm. nothing compared to nothing compared to now. Yeah. Or what we went through in 2000 with the hanging chads and the Supreme Court ruling. But no, never did I believe at that point that people would take up arms against each other, you know, and right. like that, the group that um, was planning to kidnap the Michigan governor. Right. What is happening? I know. Just it's unbelievable um right. there was another governor they were planning on kidnapping also i did hear that was it wisconsin or i don't know where it was yeah some other state yeah mm. well i think it's um you know we're we're not in a place where we think we're gonna we're at any risk for leaving christianity but we're certainly at a place where we're needing to hang on to all the solid things in our christian faith all the mm -hmm. all the the really the plumb line the the anchors the all the images that we can think of that represent being grounded in in our faith and, and what i keep trying to remind people if you've seen anything that i've written which is probably too much lately but jesus didn't come to change the minds of the politicians Jesus didn't come to take out Rome. Jesus came for the people. And we can't make the people who are non-believers live our Christian lives and our Christian beliefs. We can pray for them. We can tell others how we think and feel. But we just need to keep our eyes in Jesus and remember that the God of the universe knows knows not only our name, but every hair on our head. Mm -hmm. People in Washington don't. They're not the ones that we live for. Except Katie. <laughs> I was going to say, how does Katie feel living there? Does it, does it make her nervous? You know, she's couldn't, she couldn't be more apolitical. <laughs> she she really just doesn't care she doesn't want to be involved it's so fascinating because i'm rather interested in it all and i always have been um and her twin brother is studying political science <laughs> but he's in cincinnati <laughs> but um i think she's okay about it all right now um i think she does worry a little bit but you know she's partaken of a few like she, i think i mentioned she went down to see the ruth bader ginsburg memorials and um she pretty much stays away from it at, when she can but um i think she's a little you know has a little fear going into tuesday um because yeah it's when we were there the dan and i and her went down to um the Black Lives Matter Plaza, the one that they renamed, which was Lafayette Square, I guess. And there was nobody around then. It was fascinating. And they had um, pictures up of all the posters and stuff. They had made it into like a permanent banner. Um, and it was really fascinating. It was almost eerie because it was so quiet. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I think she'll, she'll do fine. And I'm so grateful that she does have this group of Christians that she's hanging with and 
one of the pastors is actually from Buffalo. So oh, wow. yeah, a young woman. And so she and Katie talk all the time about the bills and how nobody else gets Buffalo, you know, and, um, and it's, it's just a comforting, I think God did that to help. He connected Katie with her, I think, just to show Katie that, that, you know, he's, he's thinking about her and <laughs> he's is, is she a non-denominational pastor or? You know, they are, what she, this group that she's in is called Chi Alpha. And I haven't looked at it too in depth, I think, because I, I don't want to not like it because <laughs> she likes it. Um, I think it might be Assembly of God. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've heard Chi Alpha at all, ever. No, uh, I'm not but, sure. I, but I haven't had any reason to look. Yeah. Um, she really seems to like it. They have, um, they do have female pastors. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if Assembly of God does. Do yeah, they? they do. Okay. I think of them as a little more fundamentalist maybe. They, than they are, but they're one of the, and I'd have to look again at their, at some of their history, but they've had, they've had women clergy for some time. Um, <laughs> some of the, it's, it's often some of the more, non-denominational that come out of a more fundamentalist Baptist that they might be non-denominational and charismatic, but if their roots are in a fundamentalist Baptist kind of a place, then, then they'd be, they're less likely to some of the big, you know, like the chapel and some of the other big non-denominationals you'll never find. Um, you, there might have people that they call women pastors, but you'll never see one that's up higher than children and, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's um well that's wonderful. And the reality is we have no reason to expect that Washington would be the source of difficulty right. because where things have flared up across the country, they've been in places I wouldn't have even thought, you know, Minneapolis right. and um some of the other cities where there's been some significant events. Yeah. Oregon, of all places, Oregon is like all hippies and juice bars. Right. Um, I'm just kidding, because the other side of Oregon is a lot of the people that want to live in the hills and have guns um, and right. homeschool their children and build barricades. So it's a um, it's it's a mixed it's a mixed bag. And it can and it can happen anywhere. Like Jack in, in one of his classes, um, they were talking about domestic terrorism. And he said, so, of course, they brought up Timothy McVeigh from good old Pendleton, New York. Yeah. So, I'm a city bomber. And he goes, I didn't say a word, mama. <laughs> he said, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. He calls me mama when he's talking seriously. He's <laughs> like, I didn't tell them mama that I was from Pendleton. <laughs> and they named where he was from, huh? Yeah. Wow. I, I like, Not even just Buffalo or New York. Oh no. Pendleton. Yeah. I didn't live around here. I lived in DC at the time that that happened. And I remember, um, yeah, we have several, people in our church that went to high school with him. I think mm -hmm. Joe Matina went to high school with him. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. When I was in Colorado, it didn't really dawn on me, Aurora, Colorado, but that's where the movie theater shooting wow. was. Yeah. So that, that movie theater, um, uh, I would drive by it periodically. And it took me a few minutes to be like, wait, this yeah. is Aurora there's that movie theater and it's, it's all closed up and yeah. stuff, but still there. 
just shows, I mean, it, it literally can happen anywhere and mm -hmm. people can come from anywhere. And, and we pray it happens nowhere. I know, um, I know it. All right, well, let's pray. Okay. God, you hear us and you know us. We pray that as we read in scripture that you will set the path before us and guide us in our running this race. Sometimes, God, it's hard because there's a lot of rocks in the road and a lot of chaos and thunder and stuff around us. And we really need to know that we are sheltered in your love and care. For you are that which never changes. And we give you thanks for that. And we pray for our country and our community, our families, our children, and our church this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Rest well. Thank you.